360. It's episode 91. Hard to believe we're almost at 100. Of course, we are the only podcast known to science that covers the University of Connecticut from every conceivable angle. Coming to you from the far-flung corners of Connecticut this week. My name is Tom Breen. I'm your facilitator of sorts. Joining me, as always, my colleague, Julie Bartuka. Julie, how are you doing? I'm doing well. We're actually in the same building, but not in the same room today. Right. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's one of the many strange realities of the, the pandemic era. We have a, a great conversation for you this week. Very excited about this. This is someone who, if you are one of UConn's 90,000 Instagram followers, you, you'll probably be familiar with this person. But before we, we get to that, I just want to uh, run through some quick news. I'm going to make a personal plea. If you're near the campus to check out the Benton Museum of Art, there's an exhibit on Connecticut's famous Nut Museum, which you may or may not remember. Uh, this was a museum in a house in Old Lyme, Connecticut. Uh, a woman who, who loved nuts was... <laughs> Was, was nuts about nuts. She was nuts about nuts, you might say. Yes, you might yeah. say that, yeah. And uh, she was also an artist and she was a painter and she wanted to bring the world of nuts to, to, to everybody and ended up, I mean, she was a guest on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson a few times and, and, and developed quite a reputation. When she passed away, her collection was taken by Connecticut College and they've put on some exhibits of her work since then in her collection. And uh, there's one at the Benton right now. Uh, you can read all about it on UConn today. And I heroically, when editing it, resisted most nut puns. I didn't you, resist all of them. You certainly did not. You had quite a few in there. What is it you you will not regret? You, well, yes, yeah, true. Yes, I did. And the headline exhibit. does say you will not regret. But it's a it's a really fun exhibit and, and a, a kind of a quirky corner of Connecticut history. So uh, check that out. Yes, and UConn Magazine latest issue is out now in your mailbox if you're so lucky, or at magazine.ukon.edu. And the cover story, since it was released right on Valentine's Day, is about an epic UConn love story where eight couples met in McConaughey Hall in the jungle or North Campus back in 1986, and. These couples all have stayed together. They've all gotten married and had children and kind of have this Yukon family that they do things with all the time. And it's a really, really cute story. And I know there's lots of love stories. I think the magazine article online has tons and tons of comments already of other people chiming in about, you know, meeting around the same time as these couples did at the same party, things like that. So really fun one. And of course, tons of other great content in Yukon magazine as well. Thank you for using the correct jungle term for it, as it would have been in 1986. Yeah, um, obviously. As a, as an older UConn person, that's how I still think of it. And every once in a while, someone will mention something happening at North Campus, and I have to think for a second where that is. My parents met there and very, you know, affectionately always referred to it as the jungle. So I, I have that ingrained in me as well. Although apparently in the 1950s, it was called the pit. So... <laughs> Jungle, I think, is a little better, I guess. All right. Well, now let's 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 meet our guest. Let's talk a little bit about the person we're going to be talking to this week. I think sometimes people have a inaccurate separation of their minds between art and science. Yes. And one of the things I think is exciting about our guest is that he demonstrates, in fact, there there doesn't have to be any kind of a contradiction between the two that you could be good at science and good at art as well. Tell us about that, Julie. Who we're we going to meet. Very true. So this person is an associate research professor in the Department of Pathobiology and Veterinary Sciences in the College of Ag. And he does research on whether exposure to environmental contaminants adversely affects the immune system of marine wildlife and humans, and whether this exposure increases an individual's susceptibility 
immunity to infectious pathogens. That is fascinating. But the reason that you probably know him, listeners, uh, is because he takes absolutely stunning photos of our beautiful campus. Milton Levin is a really accomplished drone photographer who has become kind of an unofficial Yukon campus beauty photographer. So we're going to talk to him about all of that. Welcome. Uh, thanks for having me today. Thanks for coming on. So I guess I'll, I'll start off with a question that I have is how did you get interested in drone photography specifically? Had you always been a photographer? Had you taken any classes in photography or is this completely self-taught? Self-taught. My brother, my twin brother, Alan, is a professional photographer. We've been doing photography since high school. You know, he was on the high school yearbook and I I did a little bit of that. Never really took it seriously, but he actually has a degree in photography. And if anybody, he's the one that really kind of pushed me into doing a little bit more. I've been doing photography for about 20 years now, mostly with my phone or a point and shoot or a GoPro. And I don't know, probably just on YouTube one day, I saw these aerial photos and just kind of wondered how I could get into that. I kind of waited for the drone industry to mature a little bit. I guess the first generation had a GoPro mounted to the drone. You couldn't see what you were capturing. And then they kind of matured a little bit. And now you can get a, a camera that you get a live feed so you can see exactly what the drone is seeing from the air. And that's when I, I guess, pulled the trigger and, and bought a drone. Actually, the first place I, I flew was on Horseburn Hill. That's why I, I, I learned to fly and just and practiced and then uh, eventually got my FAA Part 107 license to operate commercially. That's dedication to a hobby, I think, is, is how some people might put it, to have to get an actual pilot's license to to become a photographer. So you are very dedicated to this craft. You were also featured in the recent Yukon magazine before this last issue. I talked about how you started taking pictures of your research and then that kind of evolved into more hobby photography. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, I, I get to travel to some very interesting places around the world. I've been to, to Greenland several times, Norway, the Arctic up in Canada. And I'm up there and, and I thought photography would be a great way to share that experience with my colleagues and friends and family. And I just started to capture photographs, eventually capture videos and start making small little videos for my friends, colleagues. And that kind of moved into, you know, more formal documenting what I was doing up there and also using them as training videos. So when new people go to some of these sites, the videos will show them kind of what they can expect to see and do in these remote locations. Did that help you with your research at all? Besides the training videos, were there things you were able to capture out there that, that kind of helped you put everything together and drive your findings a little bit? Oh, I think so. I, I get you get to see some of these, you know, animals, what we kind of call the charismatic megafauna, the polar bears, the killer whales, the beluga whales. I think when you see that, it, it, it holds people's interest more mm -hmm. than just reading about it. It's a different way to communicate your research. Right. When you can see these animals in the wild and, you know, you think they live in these pristine environments, yet you see some trash around them. I think that speaks louder than words. Absolutely. You were recently in Cape Cod doing some field work with gray seals. What kind of things are you working on now? We continue to do that kind of work. This is our field season. So we just finished up our 2022 season in Nantucket just this past weekend. That's a project that's going on every year. Some of the current research is working with the Navy. I can't go into details, but we're working on trying to find better ways to assess the health of the marine mammals that are under the care of the, of the U.S. Navy. That's one project we're working on. I'm also a co-PI on a grant with Connecticut Sea Grant. We're trying to figure out Sea Grant's role 
in understanding the impact of contaminants of emerging concern. These are emerging class of contaminants such as perfluorinated compounds, pharmaceutical and personal care products, microplastics, nanomaterials. We know they're out there, but we don't know the impact. So Sea Grant's trying to figure out what their role is in investigating contaminants of emerging concern, whether that's research, environmental justice, outreach, and education. What kind of things have you noticed uh, changing in, in the field since you started working in it? I mean, have, have things drastically changed in some areas? Have, have things become more of a concern uh, than when you started or less of a concern? That's a good question. Contaminants have been around for a long time and they continue to impact the environment. And when we phase out one contaminant, a new one takes its place. So there's always going to be research opportunities. There's always going to be an impact. It's really a never-ending research. I do want to get back to your drone photography and how you've kind of really become like this, I guess, iconic figure, at least for us, knowing, you know, what goes into the Yukon Instagram account and things like that, and where people, Tom takes a lot of very lovely photos of campus on his daily walks, but you just, you somehow capture these amazing images. What do you set out to do when you're out there? I know you take your dog around campus with you too. Uh, you have a little companion with you, but what do you What do you look for when you're on campus taking your drone photos? What do I look for? We live in such a beautiful part of the state. You know, I usually try to go out on sunrise and sunset. It's never the same. It's always different. And I just try to capture that, mostly for myself, but I do like to share it with the overall Yukon community and local community. Sometimes I have specific ideas I want to go capture, and sometimes it's more just organic. I'm just out there with the camera. I see something it's like, oh, that can make a nice photo and I'll try to capture it and I'll, I'll send it to, to UConn if they want to share it. That's great. If not, that's fine too. I don't know if I have an agenda. I just guess I want to put a smile on people's faces sometimes. That's awesome. Do you have a favorite photo that you've taken at UConn? My favorite photo. I, I don't know why, but I seem to focus on Jacobson Barn a lot. I don't know why that speaks to me, but you can walk around that a hundred times and get a hundred different photos. And I like them all. It's kind of a unique building around campus. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the way the sun hits it in the morning with this, you know, golden hour light, it's just beautiful. So I just, I hope people don't get bored seeing the same building, but I, <laughs> I, I see it different every day. I don't think anybody that loves UConn gets bored of any of these uh, places because we just love to look at them. <laughs> One of the things I think you do really well is um, every time there's like a, a, you know, a really dramatic sunset, uh, I know that I'll go on Instagram and I will see lots of pictures from people, including me, trying to capture it and failing completely. And you always have these really, really impressive pictures of sunsets. I mean, what does it take to get that? Is it patience? Is it just waiting for the right moment? Or is it knowing what you're looking for? Is it is it how do you how do you do it? I mean, you, is it just trial and error? And eventually, you, you get to a point where you realize this is how to take these pictures. A little bit of all of that. Probably the first thing I do every day when I wake up is look at my window, and I check the weather apps. I'm always looking for clouds in the sky because the clouds really reflect the light. So if it's a sunny day, no clouds, I usually say ah, I probably won't get a picture. If it's 50% cloudy, it's probably going to make a nice sunset or a nice sunrise. So I'm always looking for clouds in the sky and staying past sunset. That's when you get more of the the purples, purple hues, the magentas, the yellows and the oranges. It's usually right after sunset. When most people are leaving after taking their pictures, that's when I think it's it's optimal. So it's just, you never know what you're going to see up there. You know, I'll go out there an hour before it's like, it's going to be great. Then it kind of fizzles. 
where I think it's going to fizzle, then it's going to be fantastic. There's never a bad day up there. I'm always walking the dog anyway, so you might as well stay a little longer and capture some some images. Do you go out pretty much every day, every evening when you're when the weather's okay? I do. It's it's probably my favorite place to walk my dog. So uh, she gets some outside time. I get outside time and uh, maybe grab a great photo if I'm lucky. If somebody wanted to start pursuing drone photography, would you have any advice for them? Learn the rules. There's a lot of rules with drone flying. You, anybody can access a drone, but there are rules for operating the drone. The FAA has a list of rules to follow. That would be my first piece of advice is go to the FAA website about drones and learn the rules. And then just a lot of practice. When you're flying a drone and trying to take photographs, it's two things. You're, you're operating the drone, and then you're also being a photographer at the same time. So it's two pieces that you have to learn. Some people know how to fly a drone, but not a good photographer or other people are good photographers and don't know how to fly a drone. I was neither. I wasn't a drone operator or a photographer and I learned both at the same time. (laughs) Well, you've clearly been very successful at it. You've done a good job. Thank you. Are there ever weather conditions where you say, I'm not putting the drone up today? I mean, is it is wind a big problem or is it, uh, you know, if it's a rainy day or kind of overcast? I won't fly if there's any rain or snow. Wind, depending on how windy it is and the type of drone you have, you can fly a drone in, in winds. I usually try to not fly if it's over 20 miles an hour. But if it's around there, I, I stay pretty close. I don't fly too far away. I remember when drones were sort of becoming more common, they would always attract a lot of attention and people would sort of Sometimes we would get calls here at the office, people saying, why is someone, why is there a drone? Why, what's happening? Are people getting more used to it, do you think? I mean, do you, does anyone ever stop you and say, what are you doing? I got that a lot in the beginning. People would come up and say, what are you looking at? Or what are you doing? And I, you know, I try to be friendly. And, and if I can, if it's not distracting me too much, we'll show them the screen so they can see what I'm, what I'm looking at. Most of these days, I really just try to not stand out. So I'm not distracted when I'm flying because I need to pay attention to what I'm doing. But if people do have questions, I'll, I might just ask them just to wait till I land and we can discuss what I'm doing. Yeah. I, I don't think people understand sometimes how much concentration, like, I mean, it, it's an aircraft, right? You, really <laughs> have to, you, ha- you know, you have to be very careful with what you're doing. Yeah. It's, you basically don't bother pilots when they're flying a plane. So it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's basically the same concept. Yeah. How can people uh, follow you other than the Yukon Instagram account where your, your, your photographs make regular appearances? How can people uh, keep up with you on social media or elsewhere? I have my own personal social media pages on both Instagram and Facebook at Milton Levin. Thank you so much for coming on. For uh, everyone out there, if you want to follow us on social media, you can go on Twitter at UConn Podcast and you can follow me at TJ Breen. As Julie said, I do occasionally post pictures from campus. They are not nearly as good as Milton's. (laughs) And please visit today.uconn.edu for all the latest news about the University of Connecticut. Julie, is there anything you want to tell the good people out there? Nope. I'm at Julie Bartuka on Twitter. If you want to reach me for any reason and follow our social follow at main underscore old where Tom posts great history content and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye everybody. See you.